What is up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, man, Steve, what's up? How's it going? AJ! How you doing? You're going to sit front and center. That's good. I might stare at you the whole time. All right. Hey, everybody. What is up? Thanks for being here tonight. I'm excited to be sharing with you guys. Um, what's up? There you go. That's better. All right. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, man, it's been a while since I've been up here in high school, so uh, I'm excited. And uh, we are continuing in this series that we've called Elephant in the Room. And, uh, you know, back really at the, kind of at the beginning of the year, February, March, Colin and I started uh, working on our um, series ideas for, the, for this year, for 2019. And we really felt uh, like at some point in the year we needed to spend some time uh, looking at some topics that, um, that maybe the church has done a poor job of relating to the world in um, and, and being in conversation with people in and really caring for people in. And uh, so we've already been in several of those. A huge one was last week, if you missed it. Um, we talked about the LGBTQ plus topic and... Uh, Man, I would encourage you to go check out that message uh, online. Um, Colin did a phenomenal job. How many of you guys were here last week to hear Colin speak? Yeah. yeah. It was good stuff. So, um, but, but tonight's topic is one that um, has become um, more personal than I expected it to have become when we started talking about this series. And... Uh, Initially, we were going to call this series Culture Clash because we wanted to talk about topics that the church and the world seem to be like competing or battling each other in. And then um, Colin, because he's really smart, smarter and wiser than I am, came to me and was like, hey, um, I kind of feel like if we call it Culture Clash, we're just fueling the fire that like it's us, the church against the world. And I said, Colin, you're so smart. Thank you for that. So we decided to change the name of the series, and uh, we're calling it Elephant in the Room because really, this series has just been topics that, um, that the church has either done a bad job of confronting or has been afraid to confront, and it's like this big, awkward elephant in the room that everybody knows is there, and for some reason, we just won't address it. And so last week, we talked to both junior high and high school students, you guys, about the LGBT topic, and that really what we're called to do is not just shove the truth down people's throat or love them so much that they get a free pass, but really that there's a third option where we're saying, I love you so much, I want to I wanna live the truth out in relationship with you. So, um, so it's, been, um, it's been a cool series, and I've been happy to be a part of it. So tonight... Um, like I said, this has kind of become more of a personal message for me than I expected. Uh, if you have your outlines, you'll see that the topic tonight is mental health. If you don't have your outline, go ahead and take it out. Um, we're going to get into it in a little bit. Um, but first, I want to give you guys a little bit of a backstory and a little bit of a, a, a history. Um, looks like my iPad deleted my notes. Found them. Okay. Uh, woo, that's always a comfortable feeling. It's a good thing. I pretty much know them. So, um, but let me give you guys a little bit of a backstory and where I'm coming from with the topic of mental health and uh, how it has really affected myself and my family in the last few months. Um, when I was a kid, elementary school, uh, I was 
a, probably a pretty anxious kid. Wouldn't have called it anxiety, but I was constantly just uh, afraid of things. And, and for my entire life, you know, I, I would react in an anxious way to things. And, um, and I would get hung up and start to like have uh, these, these ideas in my mind just get bigger and bigger. And I start to see these irrational things as being a possibility. Um, people being injured, you know, what if I, I, it's just the worst case scenario. Those are the kinds of things my mind takes me to, and they just get bigger and bigger in my mind. And, uh, and there are several things throughout my life that have happened that have kind of made, um, what I now know to call anxiety worse, um, to make my mental health worse. Um, and I don't have time to get into all of them, uh, with you guys, but I want to tell you about two in particular because they kind of played off of each other. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how I do tonight. Um, the first thing that has greatly affected my mental wellness was the birth of my first son, uh, Liam, and who we love. But uh, all of a sudden, uh, not only am I afraid for my own safety, but all of a sudden I feel like I am in charge of someone else's safety, and so many times they're out of, it's out of my control. Um, how many of you guys are afraid, like, if something is outside of your control? This is a huge thing for me. And this is where um, many of my struggles come from. And, and, and honestly, I end up hurting myself at times by trying to control everything. And uh, I've explained to people that it feels like I'm reaching out so much to try and control everything that I have at times kind of ripped myself apart in the process. I don't know if that kind of illustration makes sense to you, but it does to me. Um, so when Liam was born, it, it was just like this... I had this feeling, I remember the first night when we were home from the hospital, you know, when you're in the hospital, it's like, you kind of don't realize all the scary things, because you can just press a button and someone will come help, and, you know, if you need sleep, someone will come help, and, you know, and then you get home, and it's just you and your husband or your wife, and this thing that's 48 hours old, and I remember that first night, we'd put him in his crib. We, you know, then it was time, you know, bedtime for us. Like, so we go back to it. And I remember we both are just like laying there and I roll over and I'm like, you know, what if this happens? So then we Google, you know, okay, no, no. Okay. What if this happens? We spent the entire night Googling these like worst case scenarios, right? And then it started to get worse. See, I've always struggled with sleep. Nighttime has always been a difficult time for me. And, and in high school, I, I had seasons of, of what I would call like insomnia and just a lot of trouble sleeping. And then when Liam was born, it got a lot worse because not only am I struggling to fall asleep, but I'm also just laying there thinking about what might happen to my son. And in particular, I have frequent um, visions in my mind uh, and I lay awake thinking about and waiting for the moment that a car crashes through his bedroom. And it's hard to fall asleep when you're picturing that. Um, so I have these irrational fears and these irrational things that I get hung up on. And uh, I didn't know at the time what to, I just call, I thought it was fear. And I thought, you know, I'd had other parents tell me like, oh, that's kind of normal. Like, you know, you're, you're afraid for your kids safety. And I get that, but my wife and I never really considered that it might be something more than that. And then a few years after Liam was born, where here I'm so afraid and I feel like I have to control every aspect of my life, of my wife's life, of my son's life, and keep everybody in place and everybody safe and everybody where they need to be. 
And at the time, I'm working in children's ministry. And one Sunday morning, Eddie was teaching. And you guys know, most of you guys know, that uh, Eddie taught the 8 o'clock service and then had a heart attack backstage and passed away. And so my friend, my mentor, my boss, this person that I love that held my children is gone. And it compounded this feeling in me that God would be willing to take someone I care about away from me to teach me a lesson. Now, that is what I would call an ungodly belief. That's not true. Um, And unfortunately, that might be an idea that's, that's new to you, but there are things that we believe about God that are not true. And they might be subconscious, but we operate on them a lot. And so after Eddie's passing, now I have all these fears. And now I'm thinking, God's going to make this car crash through my house. God's going to make something happen to my kid just to teach me a lesson. God's willing to, at any time, take someone from me just so that I'll learn something. Or just because. And I had this thought that like, I remember thinking at times like, God, I'm afraid you're going to try to teach me how good you are, like to trust in you by hurting me. And I was afraid that God was going to do something to bring me to my knees so that then I'm forced to lean on him. And it's been a long process and something that I'm still working on to learn and realize that God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to save us, keep us safe, see us enjoy life, right? He doesn't want to hurt us just to spite us or to show us how big he is and how little we are. But ever since that moment, then these feelings of fear started to get worse and I started to have what what I would call panic attacks. At the time, I wouldn't have called them that. I just called him like fear. And, uh, and so my wife knew about these fears and we talked about it a lot. And, and, you know, obviously she's my wife, so she knows if I'm having trouble sleeping. And so it's just been a part of our life. And I honestly thought it was pretty normal for a long time and just something that I had to deal with. And in fact, because it's been happening in my life for now, I mean, how long have I been out of high school? Like almost 20 years, I just figured, you know, I just don't sleep well. And that's it. So then in like February or March, Colin and I start to talk about this series. And we select the topics that we want to talk about, and we agree that one of the things that we want to talk about is the church's need to enter into a conversation about mental health with people. Because for too long, the church has been wrong, has said the wrong things to people about their mental wellness. So keep in mind, we've already got this message planned for last night and tonight, back in early spring. Then this summer, I had the opportunity to go on vacation and the way my family's schedule was was lined up, I was gonna be on vacation, you know, at the coast by myself at a beach house for a couple days. I was looking forward to it. I took a whole fat stack of books. I was just gonna sit in this beach house by myself and read until Friday when my wife could bring my boys and we could have some time together over the weekend. Well, my first day at this beach house, I started to feel this creeping sense 
of how quiet the beach house was. And there were times throughout the day that I'd, I'd text or call my wife and I'd just be like, man, it's kind of weird. It's like really quiet here. It's kind of weird being by myself. I don't know how to turn the TV on. Like if I knew how to turn the TV on, I'd be set, right? I'd just find something to watch. But Then around dinner time, I got myself some food and I sat down to eat it. And the moment I sat down to eat my dinner that I had got me, this is back in August, I lost my appetite. My heart started racing. I felt the need to stand up. I felt dizzy. I thought I might be having a heart attack. I started pacing back and forth in the beach house. And I was having what I would call a debilitating anxiety attack. I didn't know what to do. Everything felt wrong. And all I could think about was the fact that something is happening to me and I'm alone and I'm out of town and I don't know where a hospital is. I don't know what to do. So I call my wife and and I'm explaining to her, I think I'm having a panic attack and I'm really scared and I don't know what this is and I just want to come home because I think being alone is like triggering it. And she's like, yeah, but you can't drive because it's not safe to drive in the state you're in. And I'm, I'm like, I know, like if I'm dizzy, I know I can't drive, but I don't want to be here by myself. And so we talk a little bit and, and we agree that I should call my, my parents and talk to them a little bit. And so I call my mom and uh, my mom... She knew I was on vacation, vacation, so she answers the phone. Hey, son, how's it going? And my voice is totally different than hers. And my voice is shaking. And I say, Mom, can I ask you a question? And she says, yeah, what's up? And I said, Mom, I think I'm having a panic attack. And she said, yeah, son, you are. I can hear it in your voice. And I said, I want to come home, but I feel stuck here. And she Offer. She's like, well, son, you know, your dad and I, we'll, we'll load up in the car right now. We'll, we'll come to you. One of us will drive you back home. We'll, you know, we'll get the cars home. And, and I was like, no, you know, like I didn't want to put, like, this is where anxiety makes no sense. Because the entire time she's offering to do this, and my thought is, I can't put you out. I can't do that to you. So we talked some more, and the second I made the decision to come home at the moment... She said, son, just when you feel safe, wait until you feel safe, and then, you know, let us know what you're going to do. And I said to her the words, mom, I'm okay, I'm going to come home. And the entire panic attack washed away. And it was like I had this mental relief from it. And so I got home without issue, no anxiety at all, right? I get home, had a few more panic attacks or anxiety attacks that weekend, and by that Monday, man, it was clear that I needed to get in to see my doctor. You see, I have had all these feelings in my life, but never had I considered and never had my wife and I thought that maybe I needed to talk to someone about it. Maybe this is something that, that isn't normal. Maybe I need to talk to a doctor about this. So I make an appointment with my doctor and... Uh, go see my doctor. And, and over that weekend, I actually came to learn that uh, both of my parents are on anxiety medication and my mom's entire side of the family is on anxiety medication. And uh, so I go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what? It's, it can be hereditary. So, you know, you have their DNA or whatever. And so she starts me on uh, some anxiety medication. That was late August. This anxiety medication that she started me on takes about seven to eight weeks to kick in. So seven weeks and one day to me starting taking 
uh, this anxiety medication, I started experiencing uh, side effects that, uh, well, we didn't know they were side effects at first. I started having seizures, sort of, spasms. Um, if you've ever seen someone with like Tourette's, probably would, would look a lot like Tourette's. Um, so I'd have these like what we called ticks or ticking attacks and sometimes they were as small as me like tapping and I couldn't stop. Sometimes there were verbal ticks. Um, didn't ever say any bad words like with Tourette's so I didn't get that. That's a bummer, but But I would have these like verbal tics. Sometimes they were so bad that my entire body would seize up. Imagine having like a cramp in your entire body and you're frozen. And some, a few times they were so bad, you know, and like they're tweaking my head to the side and locking my shoulders up. And a few times they were so bad I actually fell off of our couch. And I, there were a couple times that I was standing and I, fortunately I felt them coming on and had I not immediately dropped to the ground, I would have fallen over and could have hit my head or whatever. So um, obviously that's not right. We don't know what's causing that. I get back into my doctor and the doctor says, here's the deal. You're having a rare side effect to the anxiety medication that I prescribed you. So we need to wean you off of that immediately. That was a Thursday. She prescribed another medication to me to start taking immediately to help me wean off of that medication. All right. So that was a Thursday. That Friday is when I started taking that medication. Now, unfortunately, that medicine didn't work well with me either. So uh, that Friday, there were times that I lost track of time throughout the day. I left home without knowing where I was going, uh, which is scary. I drove a car without knowing what I was doing. Um, talk, we ended up going to Central's football game that night. Um, so I know I talked to some of you. It was the night that like the elementary school kids uh, did their cheerleading at halftime. Um, and so if I spoke to you that night and you thought, oh man, AJ seemed kind of like he was on drugs tonight, Megan. I remember talking to you. There's others that I don't remember talking to. Um, uh, the reality is I was, uh, but <laughs> they were prescribed to me and I was having a reaction to them. Got home, um, convinced my wife that I needed to go get us some food. Um, went and got Panda Express, came back in the house remember setting the Panda Express on the counter, and then the next thing I remember is laying on my back in my living room um, with my wife sitting next to me and a friend of ours holding my head like in her hands in her lap, and they're both looking at me and saying, it's going to be okay. We're going to take you to the emergency room. You need to go to the ER right now. So that friend stayed at our house with our boys, and my wife took me to the emergency room, and I got checked in, and they immediately were like, yeah, we know what's going on. They gave me a shot. It cleared a lot of that stuff up right away. And then I began a you know, couple-week process of, of healing from what was a reaction to some medication. That was probably about four weeks ago. And uh, you guys might have noticed that about four weeks ago, I was gone for a couple of weeks, and that's where I was. Um, I was at home sick, and I was healing. And... Uh, I, I didn't enjoy that experience, obviously. Um, I really wish that I didn't have to go through that and my family didn't have to go through that. And it was hard for my wife and my boys, you know, saw things in me that, that I didn't like. But, but another thing that I know is that God uses things for his good and his glory 
And in those two weeks that I was, you know, away at home healing, God really started to teach me things about mental wellness and to teach me about how much he cares about me and to teach me new ways to seek after him. And guys, I got to tell you, like, I am from a terrible experience learning great things about God. When I struggle to sleep at night, I'm learning to just spend time with him. That's a huge blessing because I typically used to sit there angry and now if I can't sleep, I just get to talk to him. But God has been teaching me things and talking to me. And so with the rest of our time here t- tonight with me, I just want to share a few things that God has, has kind of been showing me and some things that I think the church needs to get better at saying to people that are struggling with their mental health and their mental wellness. All right? So like I explained to you guys that when I was, when I was young, you know, there were, there were times that I've, I kind of felt anxious, you know? but I didn't, I didn't know to call it anxiety. Now I know to say I have a diagnosable mental sickness. I have anxiety and depression, right? Back then I just would have said, you know, that I'm afraid of things. And, and as I was struggling with things as a kid and in junior high and high school, um, eventually one of my pastors pointed me to a, a verse that has become one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything but in all things, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when I was initially shown this verse, I thought what it was trying to tell me was like, hey, if you know Jesus, you don't have anything to be anxious about. If you know Jesus, all you have to do is pray and your fears will go away. And there were times in my life that they was comforting, but there were a lot more times in my life that I would pray and I'd say, God, why am I having trouble sleeping? Why am I afraid? Why am I? I mean, I was a high school student that was afraid of the dark. That's not normal, but it happens. And I would lay there thinking, God, why won't you take these fears away from me? And I've come to realize that it doesn't mean, hey, if you're a good enough Christian, if you believe in God enough, if you pray well enough, if you do the right things, he'll take your anxiety and your depression and your fears away. What it means is that in any situation, even the situations that you might be anxious in, God has peace that is greater than anything we understand. See, the problem is when we want peace, we want our version of peace. We want what we want. We don't understand how great what God has for us is. So I would get angry at God because what I thought was peace was actually just an easy life. I wanted everything to be perfect and, you know, just let me skate through life. And, and that's, that's not life. God says, I have peace that takes you through scary situations. And I just wanted peace that stopped scary situations. That's why Eddie's passing was so hard for me because it was like, I had these thoughts of like, wait wait a minute, God. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that to Eddie. You're not supposed to do that to his boys and his wife. You're not supposed to do that to me. We believe in you. And we have to get over the idea that believing in Jesus and putting our faith in God doesn't make life simple. So 
I've got a few things that I just want to, we're going to talk through real quick and I want you guys to write in because many of us struggle with our mental wellness and we may not realize it. And I'm sure there's a lot of you in this room that do realize it. And you've never voiced it to someone. And you daily struggle with your thoughts. But the first thing that we all need to know is that if you have any struggle with your mental wellness at all, be it anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, self-harm, anything, schizophrenia, I mean, there's a ton of them, right? But if that's something that you struggle with, the first thing that I need you to know, write this in, is that there is nothing wrong with you. And we have done a terrible job The world in general, but especially at times the church, has done a terrible job of making people feel like if there's something that they struggle with, it's because there's something wrong with them. Anxiety and depression is an illness. I have a diagnosable disorder. David, if you had the flu... Would you think there was anything wrong with you other than you had the flu? No. You wouldn't sit there and think, I had the flu. God, what sin did I commit yesterday to make me get the flu? Of course not. When we get sick, it doesn't mean that there's some deeply rooted thing wrong with us. But for some reason, we have this idea in our minds that sickness only happens from the neck down and anything from the neck up is just because there's something wrong with you and you're weak. But it's not true. Struggling with your thoughts, whatever that is, does not mean there's anything wrong with you. And then here's what this looks like, and an unfortunate thing that the church has done, and I know that there have been pulpits and stages where this message has been shared, and it is wrong. And I need you guys to understand that mental illness does not equal a lack of faith. Struggling with mental health does not mean you don't believe in God. It does not mean you don't pray enough or that you've committed sins. It's not payback for things that you've done. I know that there are people, I have met people that have been told, oh, you have anxiety, you need to pray harder. That makes no sense to me. And now, because of what I've experienced, if someone came up to me and said that, I'd punch them in the head. That's like walking up to, say, to someone and saying, oh, you have cancer, you need to pray better. God will heal you if you pray right. It makes no sense. And seriously, if someone said that to me, I'd punch him in the head and I'd be like, oh, sorry, bro, Tourette's panic attack thing. You know, it's like, it's fine. (laughs) I'd probably cuss at him too, because, you know, if I can get away with that, I can get away with whatever I want. It's ignorant. Likewise, this is kind of a sub point, guys. Fill this in. Admitting that you struggle does not make you a bad Christian. And I want you guys to understand that this isn't just about mental health. This is any struggle. Struggle with temptation, struggle with sin. It does not make you a bad Christian to go to someone that you trust, that cares about you, and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm scared. I think that part of the reason... 
it took me so long to get to this point was because I was afraid to admit that I needed some healing. Admitting that you struggle does not make you a, a bad Christian. In fact, it makes you a better one. I should have put that on there. Because if you realize how the body of Christ that is Christ-like, how they love you and want to help you, that makes you someone, I'll move, thanks, Aaliyah. Um, that makes you someone that is putting your faith in God and in his people. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you one that wants to be a part of God's family. The next thing you guys can write in is that anxiety and depression are liars. Anxiety and depression are liars. Now, this is like a real thing that I struggle with, but one of the best things you can do when you're struggling with your mental health is tell yourself the truth. And that's something that I'm still having to learn to do. Just the other day, like two days ago, I woke up, and you know, sometimes when you wake up and you, you lay in bed kind of half asleep for a while because you just don't, you don't want to go to school, so you're like, I'll just lay here for a little while because it's cold outside, it's warm under the covers, like, this is nice, you know? I'm going to just prolong this as long as I can. You guys understand that, right? Just imagine it's Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, and you're like, I just want to be here for a few more hours, okay? So I'm like kind of doing that wake-up thing, and I start to kind of have this daydream dream thing of like, I don't even know what triggered it. I started thinking about the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and then I started thinking like about taking my boys to the Grand Canyon. And then I started to think about like, you know, because Jake, he, my youngest, he's kind of, you know, he's like a rascal. So he'd try to get over the, the railing, you know. And then I'm like, in my mind, I'm seeing, like now I'm playing this out like, oh no, Jacob's going over the railing. And it, all of a sudden, I have worked this situation up in my mind so much that it is inevitable, listen to me, inevitable. I am waiting for him to fall into the Grand Canyon. And fortunately, I was able to snap out of it enough to go, wait, I can avoid this. I'm not at the Grand Canyon. But I believe these lies that my mind starts telling me. And I had to stop and go, wait a minute, AJ, you're losing it right now. You're not at the Grand Canyon. And you just don't have to take your family to the Grand Canyon, right? Like, I'm the dad. I kind of get to plan the vacations. I've been to the Grand Canyon. It sucks. There's no reason to go. Google, just Google Grand Canyon. Be like, look, boys, big hole. And you can't fall in. But anxiety and depression and mental illness are liars. And they tell us things. They tell me things. That scares me. And I have to tell myself the truth. And I need to get better. And we need to get better at being okay with seeking help. That's why your next fill-in is medication is not the enemy of faith. And this is another thing that the church has done that's hurt people is that they've made people feel like if you take medication for something you're playing God right now I want to I want to offer a disclaimer here real quick because there's a slight difference here all right I'm a 32 year old person man 
man. Um, that was last week. Um, I get to make my own medical decisions. And if I want to take medication for something, I can take it. You guys as minors, if you're struggling with something and, and you go to your parents and you say, hey, I think I need to get on some meds, and they say, we don't want you to be on medication right now, that's kind of up to them. But I would still encourage you to have honest conversations with them about how you're feeling. Because I, I pretty much guarantee that none of you in here, your parents would say no. All right? But I just feel the need to kind of say, like, your parents determine, like, you. Because you, you don't get to make, legally, you guys don't have a brain. So, does that make sense? But medication is not the enemy of faith. And for so long, we've had this idea that, like, man, you, like, you can't play God. I know people that, like, like, like married couple, and like when they get pregnant, you know, they don't go to the doctor, right? And like, cause that would be playing God. And I, I just, I'm like, yeah, God made doctors just go, you know, like that's dumb. You're being dumb, right? Taking medication for a sickness is not you saying, God, you're not big enough for this problem. It's not you saying, God, I can't trust you. It's just you looking for the help that you need. The next fill-in, this is an important one. You are not alone. You are not alone. I know how lonely it can feel when you're struggling with your thoughts and you feel like you're the only one that's ever had those struggles, but it's just not the case. I, I didn't get a chance to ask leaders this tonight, but last night I asked all the leaders um, prior to the leader meeting, hey guys, um, how many of you, if you would just raise, raise your hands, um, you know, how many of you have been affected by a family member or even yourself, uh, you know, have experienced some form of mental health struggle? You know, every single one of the junior high leaders raised their hands. Every single one of them said, either someone in my family or myself have struggled with that. And I'm not going to put that on your leaders because I didn't, I didn't get to trick them into that tonight, but... They can talk to you about that in your groups because I guarantee that most of your leaders know people or have themselves experienced the same things. So you are not alone. You do not need to sit in sickness and feel like, man, there's something wrong with me and no one else understands because it's just not true. And we as the church need to do a better job of saying, hey, we're here. We get it. Let's talk. And the last feeling, guys, and this is something that we all need to remind ourselves of, is that you matter. You matter. Because so often when we're struggling with these things, we feel like we must not measure up. We must not be good enough. There's something broken in me. But the reality is, is that God created you and he loves you and he created you with a purpose and you matter to him and you matter to people in this room, you matter to people at your homes, you matter. And when anxiety and depression tell you otherwise, they're lying to you. So I want to look real quick back at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Because when we're struggling with these things, whether you have what would be diagnosed as anxiety or depression or whatever, or maybe you just have moments where you're anxious, because 
Feeling anxious is something we all felt, have felt. We get nervous about things. We've got a big test coming up. Whatever. Whatever it is. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, this is the important part. You might want to underline or circle this. Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, we don't get it because it's bigger than us. It's beyond anything that we understand. But God promises that he's there and that it's there. That passage was written by Paul. Paul, Colin, did Paul write Philippians from prison? Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks. No? Yes? Yes? Okay, you can't, you can't change on me. You're going to make me anxious, all right? I might punch you in the head. <laughs> Here's a guy who's sitting in prison. And his message to other people is, hey, don't worry about it. Because in whatever situation you're in, God has peace that's better than anything you could expect. The same guy in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Worship team, everybody, sorry I went long, get over it. Paul writes, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot because I think this might be something that Paul was struggling with. Paul writes, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my peace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses. Go ahead and go to the next slide, guys. And then the next one after that, yeah. So Paul says that there's something tormenting him. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. It's not, it's not a splinter, okay? There's something that's bothering Paul, and three times he prays for God to take it away. And every single time, God's response isn't, yeah, sure, let me give you what you, what you want. God's response is, no, 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 no. My peace is what you need, and my power works best in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul's a guy who sat in prison and was tormented by something that would not go away. We don't know what it is. But I sometimes think Paul might have been struggling with his thoughts. And Paul might have been hurting. And Paul might have been scared. And God didn't take those things away from him. God said, no, no, no. Lean on me and everything will be even better. And Paul says, so I've learned not to trust in my own power, but to, in my weakness, lean on the power that God has. So that's what I'm choosing to do, guys. It's not easy for me to have gone through this. I mean, it's not even easy for me to talk about it at times. But I've chosen to say, God, I'm going to lean on you. And I'm going to let you be glorified in this situation. And the church needs to get better at helping people learn that rather than turning them away. 
Because when the church gets better at accepting people who are weak, we get to see God's power be glorified. Does that make sense? Let me pray for you guys and then your small group leaders might have time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for the way that you work through the situations in our life, even the things that are extremely painful and extremely difficult. God, I thank you that you are alive in them. God, thank you for working through me and giving me peace that is bigger than anything I could understand. And God, I just continue to, you ask to do that for me. I ask that you continue to do that for me. God, I ask that you continue to do that for every student and leader here that's struggling. God, I pray that eyes and hearts and minds have been open tonight and that this moment, this group can be the beginning of a change in the way we see each other. God, we love you. Give us a great rest of the night. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.